0: The Being an Engineer podcast is a repository for industry knowledge and a tool through which engineers learn about and connect with relevant companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. Enjoy the show. Honestly, these like thought leaders, they, they want to help. They want to help as many people as possible. It, they're just not scalable, and if you're able to scale a conversation, ask them some smart questions, and then they're able to share that to people that follow them... They're totally happy to going on the podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Being an Engineer podcast. Our guest today is Caden Damiano, who is a user experience designer working in digital mediums, Uh, Caden has this to say about himself, which I really like. Uh, He researches like a journalist, thinks like a businessman, and designs like a creative technologist. That's phenomenal. Caden, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm uh, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Start off by telling us just a little bit about uh, who you are and, and what you do.
0: Yeah, so got into... Digital product design in a very roundabout way. I'll give the brief version. Um, I remember uh, being interested in creative technology and being a creative technologist when I saw that first Iron Man movie in theaters, um, just seeing you know, this, this character, uh, this eccentric character just tinkering in his garage and designing and machining and, uh, and you know, building, building
1: amazing technology in like a week. Yeah, in a way, after a montage, he's able yeah. to make, like, a suit of armor, which I thought was really cool.
0: Like, uh. a montage is long enough to do that. Yeah, um, exactly. And uh, so I always wanted to make cool stuff. Um, that creative energy has manifested itself in videography, um, front-end coding, um, a little bit of, like, e- engineering and information systems education. Um, after... For uh, switches in my major, I finally found a um, an interaction design, digital product design uh, major at the college I went to, UVU. Who and that's the first bachelor's degree in user experience design in Utah, at least, and I think in as far as like the country is concerned, and the country for bachelor's degrees. And really, which, the
1: first one in the country.
0: Now I wouldn't say the first one in the country, but it's definitely the first one Utah, and it's probably oh, okay. like one of the first in the country because uh, Interesting. a lot of a lot of people don't have a degree in this. They uh, either tr- like pivot in from graphic design, or uh, eight, they have a master's degree in uh, human computer interaction. Uh, those were kind of the traditional paths. Where now there's actually. Uh, programs that are developing curriculum around this very new and specific um, profession now it's becoming a lot more common but i was very lucky to be part of the first cohort of the first bachelor's at least in utah um but uh yeah just visiting other colleges and talking to other students and stuff they were very surprised when i told them i was actually like focused in on that um and uh but yeah, it was definitely gave me a leg up. It allowed me to be first um, because it is a very saturated market right now. Uh, but did that uh, worked at a, a genealogy software company called Family Search for about a year, and then now I'm at Progressive Leasing, making um, digital lease to own uh, products, allowing you to you know people with like challenge credit challenge consumers the ability to. Um, yeah, just lease to own stuff at companies like Best okay, Buy, yeah. Overstock, you know, people that can't get normal credit cards and stuff. Like we help them buy stuff that we want. And uh, and I'm also the host of the Way of Product Design, which is a podcast where I just talk with uh, designers, engineers, product managers, mostly in the digital space. But um, every now and then I branch out to the physical space. Uh, just talk about how you, how you get better at making products that people love.
1: One thing that, that struck me as I was looking through your LinkedIn profile was that uh, it, it seems to me you are a voracious learner. That you just seize every opportunity to, to learn something. Um, you talked a little bit about, about your formal educational background. What, what other avenues have you gone down to, to supplement that formal education?
0: Yeah, so um, one of uh, so a lot of people. Uh, I always try to tell people this when uh, they're looking at you know planning like their ambitions and stuff like that and their careers, is to realize like where you got lucky in life. You know, like the circumstances you were born, like who you have access to and stuff. And some people have access to trust funds and, <laughs> and money. And <laughs> like uh, Tony from dark. Yeah, like Tony Stark. That you know, be, let's be honest here. You know, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't earn it. But uh, there are also people that have like really great networks. Like their dad knows a lot of people. Uh, for me, uh, I just inherited my dad's Audible account, and he buys a ton of books. So I had the luxury of being able to listen to all these books that he would buy. Um, and he's a voracious learner as well. So getting that example, um, has always just taught me to, that there's just value in learning and like trying to learn as much as possible and that, you know, no, spare no expense to invest in yourself. And, um, and you know, for me, I, I'm definitely like earlier in my career and a lot of like of my peers are all like talking about how they're investing in Tesla stock and 401ks and making money in the downturn. And um, I'm really putting all my extra money into investing in myself because if I'm a better producer and I'm better at my craft, I'm more valuable and I'll make more money and then I can start investing in stock. So, uh, audiobooks, um, I just recently paid for the coaching services and like a course called shift nudge, which is a, uh, interface design course, Um, I do a lot of my learning outside of like traditional curriculums, um, masterclass, anything that's interesting. Um, but yeah.
1: what what's masterclass? I know what masterclass is, but some people might not. I actually subscribed to it for a while. It's been a little while since I've been on it, but I thought it was a really cool platform and a great idea. Tell us a little bit about what masterclass is and what you've learned there.
0: Well, masterclass, uh, let me know if you want to sponsor me now because i'm gonna (laughs) gush over you for a little bit um so that's a course um it's a it's like a let's say it's like it's like udemy but like with famous people being the teachers um (laughs) that's probably the best way to put it uh like ceos of starbucks um, malcolm gladwell uh literally it's the bet people that are at the top of their field and very highly produced well uh well-written curriculum, like, courses, like, there's Frank Geary on architecture, there's um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell on, like, writing and research, and, you know, Gordon Ramsay on cooking. Um, It's really varied, isn't
1: it? It's, uh I mean, Steve Martin was on there, you know, teaching comedy, like, Mm -hmm. it's just so many different things you can learn.
0: Yeah, and it's just, that's what I like about it. Um, When I'm doing personal development, um, I like to keep my product design education to the podcast and maybe some books, but I really think having like a broad uh, liberal arts background where you're learning about writing and math and uh, cooking and, you know, it gives you kind of a more holistic view on the world, which actually makes you a better uh, engineer, designer. Um, because what I've learned about architecture, like physical building Design has helped me become a better uh, digital product designer, and you know, vice versa. And then, you know, uh, Steve Martin's comedy course taught me how to interact with my coworkers better, and you know, be better at telling stories.
1: And yeah, very cool. Um, so, tell me a little bit more about your podcast, The, the Way of Product Design. How did you get into podcasting?
0: Um, so, I started in my last year of college. Uh, with a friend, Cam Sackett, who is a very talented designer. He works for a couple uh, very well-known agencies, Reform Collective and Rally Interactive. Uh, they work on, uh, on some of the, probably some of the coolest like, digital experiences for big companies like Toyota and stuff like that. And um, the, uh, the impetus for it was we were networking. Uh, we realized really quick that the degree wasn't going to give us a job. Unfortunately, because of how uh, competitive it is to get into design and uh, hiring junior designers is very risky. So it's very like hard to uh, break in. It's kind of like we we thought of it like acting, like, you know, you have to break in. You got to make your Mm. own things. Um, So a lot of it is relationships, being visible in the community. And we just wanted to meet as many directors (laughs) and like leaders of design as possible to learn from them. You know, steepen our learning curve. And uh, we found out that if we just asked them, hey, could I have an hour? It's like me going to you and saying like, hey, can I pick your brain for an hour? You're like, ah, I'm a busy guy. Like, you know, I run a business and stuff like that. And uh, that, that's not going to fly. But if you say something like, oh, we'd be on my podcast? We found that people would say yes more because, you know, you're, you're giving value to them because, you know, honestly, these like thought leaders, they, they want to help. They want to help as many people as possible. It, they're just not scalable. And if you're able to scale a conversation, ask them some smart questions, and then they're able to share that to people that follow them, they're totally happy to go on the podcast. So it, it was initially a really like selfish like uh, strategy to grow um, our network and meet interesting people and have these conversations with people that are really hard to access, Um and then from there, it just turned into just an extension of like my personal brand. Um, um, my friend, he eventually moved on from the project because podcasting, like you probably know, is very is a part time job. Um, and uh, now I just I just keep doing it because I just it gives me access to so many interesting people and people I admire. I get to meet some people that I've been following ever since I just started learning about this, and um. Yeah, I'm just not going to stop because it's so it's just so much fun to uh, be a part of the community like this and, you know, really share. And people like talk to me at like meetups before COVID when we'd actually like meet up and talk in person. And they tell me like how like an episode really resonated with them and helped them help change their perspective. And that's great for me. That's a huge success metric is that I'm creating content that like helps people. So
1: I found the exact same thing to be true, that it's really hard to get time with some of these people, but if you frame it in a way that's, uh, I'm going to help scale you. I hadn't thought about uh, that specific way of articulating it before, but that's a really good way to put it. I can help scale you because you're right. They do want to help, you know, but if it's just one-on-one help, that's not so attractive. But if it's one to, you mm-hmm. know, a hundred or one to 500 or one to 10,000, that's a lot more, a lot more attractive to some of these key thought leaders. Yeah. Um, so can, can you tell us maybe, You've interviewed all these these uh, uh key thought leaders these uh, these designers have there been any like golden nuggets that you've learned that you can share with us
0: oh man that's i mean that's a fair question it's it's also a very tough question because there's so um many i think the biggest uh golden nugget and the culmination of um Everything I've learned and how it's really changed my perspective on life in my career. I started the podcast being in like a hustle mindset Um, and uh, thinking that like I need to work hard on this. I need to eventually get to weekly episodes um, and just meeting these people I admire. um, The most uh, successful, interesting people I've met on the podcast, I put on this pedestal. But then when I met them, they – they had this very calm demeanor um, and that they didn't take themselves too seriously and that they really were just about performing and having skin in the game because there's a lot of people that want to be the smartest person in the room but they don't want to take responsibility for when things go wrong. Um, They want to give advice but they don't want to execute and uh, the best people I've met uh, execute And they don't take themselves too seriously Which means that they're low ego And they're able to collaborate well with people Um, Another thing I learned While um, Going through the interviews Is um, There's There's hard skills that There are best practices And there's ways to Do your job And to, you know Like in your guys' space It's all quick keys on your CAD software and like workflow up stuff like that. That's all great and all, but really at the end of the day, like a uh, great uh, business is conducted and products are made when you are able to work well with the team that you're on. So, um, yeah, it comes down to your kindergarten skills. The, I interviewed um, a, a UX uh, author, thought leader, uh, Jonah tolly and he uh, he always goes towards like when he talks about like projects, like consulting projects. He never talks about like how many how like how many design thinking workshops he ran and are like oh the case study of his project is like oh and I made him do some some post and note exercises and stuff like that. He always talks about how there was a stakeholder that was a stick in the mud and was really concerned and he just got in the room with him and said, Hey, what's going on? Like what, what's making you so concerned? Um, and he would resolve the concern and the root cause and then that unclogged the project. And then you could do all the best practice stuff for the hard skills. Um, and for me, I mean, he's, he's like labeling the reality that, um, you know, we always tell people to, Oh, well, just be professional at work. Don't bring your personal stuff at work. And we get mad at people who are cantankerous or like having a bad day, so they're uncooperative in projects. And people, we just complain about it and think, like, oh, well, I can't, I can't do like what Google's doing because like the people in my company don't work that way and that's just not true you know honestly we're working with humans they're you know part of being in this kind of line of work you know knowledge work and creative technology um is going to have to revolve around like 50 percent of your job if not more is the soft skills um to help resolve concerns to negotiate um scope and terms um if you have those skills you're like it maybe if you're a b player and all the hard skills required to do your job but you're an a player in uh, establishing scope establishing expectations really um like you're gonna win a lot more because you could be it's not good enough to be good at your job you also have to be um good at helping other people do their job as well and helping bring out the best in them and that requires negotiation soft skills that's another good master class i took it was the uh the Chris Voss, uh, negotiation masterclass. That, that's a, that was a really good one. Uh, he wrote the book Never Split the Difference. Um, I, yeah, I found that, uh, those skills are what make my life a lot easier. And then you could go to, any, and I'm pretty sure you could go to any company. If you have those soft skills, you could go to any company. It doesn't have to be like a well established company and you could have a good time and fun at work because even though some people might be having a bad day or, or they might be uncooperative and have some really bad uh, soft skills, you're able to work around those kinks and help dig out their concerns and resolve them and make them feel like they're listened to, and then they're happy, you're happy, you do good work.
1: I tend to agree. Uh, I would rather work with someone who is you know, pretty good with the technical skills but has an excellent attitude, just really pleasant mm-hmm. to be around and to work with, than uh, the person who's really, really gifted technically but is just a jerk to work with, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, ideally, I'd rather find a person that has uh, both sides, right? (laughs) But given the choice, I'd I'd take the person who's just pleasant to work with.
0: Yeah, that's the challenge, right?
1: Yeah. Tell me about your design process. Like, when you're you're starting a new design, what what mental checklists are you going through in your mind?
0: Yeah, so it really depends. I, I compartmentalize it by uh, scope and risk level, right? So you have to establish scope every time. Um, If it's low risk, like changes to messaging or copy um, or small layout changes. I mean, in software, we have the luxury of iterating because it's it's bits, you know, you could...
1: Yeah, all ones and zeros.
0: Yep, we could just update... Um, and experiment as much as we want. So we, that's why we have like the agile process and physical product design. You have to flesh things out before you spend a bunch of money on manufacturing, right? So, um, so we, I do consider it a luxury because, um, you know, you don't get that luxury in uh, as much in physical, uh, products. Um, but, uh, making sure that you establish scope, um, if it's low risk, high risk, High risk meaning that you could really break revenue streams if you mess up, um, and then also is it like a m- then like my parameters and criteria change if it's um, an existing product um, finding leverage points. And by leverage points, I mean I- identifying um, points in the user experience where you can um get the most uh the the biggest ROI. So it's like if I make a change here, like is that gonna be leveraged um towards like better results? Um if it's a new product, um and I uh learned a lot about um uh I learned this from physical product design like James Dyson, um who's like one of my product design heroes. Uh, he's all about uh, approaching engineering from the design perspective so if it's a new pro- project I like to throw myself into the engineering discovery as well not because I can code and engineer myself I understand it and I could speak to it conversationally but um, if I have a cool idea I, I don't like to depend on unless I have a good engineer who's also a creative technologist and they're willing to like push the limits and like learn how to do stuff they've never done before but um yeah i like to i like to learn the engineering so if i have a good idea and i've done discovery work and i see like business viability and i see that this this feature or, or this product experience would provide a ton of value to our customers um i figure out how to architect the back end with the engineers um and you know dyson said that like once you have the idea you know you could learn anything in 6 months like you have plenty of time to learn the technology once you have the idea and you know, just having that mindset of taking the best things about design thinking and then applying it in that lens to the engineering process, then you actually end up
1: designing better products. I like what you said about leverage. It uh, Reminds me of a book I wrote, read recently the the eighty twenty principle. Can't remember the author's name right at the moment. We've all Richard heard Koch. Of the, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you read that book?
0: Yeah, I I love Richard's work. Uh, Star Principle, super connected.
1: Okay. Well, we've all heard of the 80-20 principle. um, uh, But reading this book, it, it forced me to kind of reassess what am I working on every day and what are the things that are actually having an impact, which, you know, if you're thinking about that, you also have to ask yourself, what is my goal? What am I actually trying to accomplish so it really has brought a lot of clarity I think to to what I do. That's been a really helpful exercise. Um highly recommend that book. Uh let me take a real quick break here and share with the listeners that uh the test testfixturedesign.com is where you can learn more about how we help medical device engineering teams who need turnkey custom test fixtures or automated equipment to assemble, inspect, characterize or perform verification or validation testing on their devices. And today we're speaking with Caden Damiano. Um, Caden, you know, I, I feel like I, I kind of jumped into the podcast with, without, um, taking a little bit deeper look into, you know, what what it means to be a digital product designer? Most of the people listening to this podcast are mechanical engineers or chemical engineers or electrical engineers, um, some software engineers, uh, but I, maybe a lot of us don't have a really good understanding for for what that means to be a digital product designer. Can you share with us maybe one or two projects and uh, some of the details about what you did, you know, the tactical details, what you did on that project to to earn that title? Digital product designer
0: Yeah, so digital product designer um, it's definitely a new new career as like of the last 10 years. Um, in a very uh, simplified version,' it's, you're working on uh, digital
1: touch points. so um, those like could be touch points what's a touch point for, for your, in your definition?
0: Yeah, so a touch point is something that a customer it's an interface that a customer interacts with
1: like right, a physical so, interaction.
0: Yeah, so it could be like the screen of your laptop, the screen of your uh, phone. Um it could be an Amazon Alexa and it's the voice interface that you're talking to. Okay.
1: So um any so, interaction with technology not necessarily a physical.
0: Yeah, exactly. And you know that that those lines are blurring a lot right now. Um I mean, you could see that in self-service kiosks at um, you know, your grocery stores. Um, you know, there's a mix of physical and digital uh, gas station pumps, right? You know, they have like the physical hardware to sw- like swipe your watch over for Apple Pay and that influences what's on the screen. Um, so, what, yeah, so like a digital product designer is we design, it's more like software design and you're designing uh, software to. Power, you know, uh, power uh, certain, empower people in certain like workflows and tasks and stuff like that. So it's like how you have one physical product like the iPhone, but there's always like new things coming out where you could control things, you know, using this one device. You can download the app to automate your home, like smart home. Um, And that's something I'm actually really interested in developing in my career is getting into smart home devices another thing that experienced designers like digital product design there's a big facet of it like ux designers user experience um there's an aspect of it called service design so you're designing so like for ancestry um you're planning out that whole experience of the dna test like what emails do they see uh, the packaging on the box um, how, how do they prepare the spit sample and, like, repackage it and send it back to you? And so I uh, also do a lot of projects like that, um, service design projects. Like, uh, But I do work a lot on digital interfaces at Progressive Leasing, like the, uh, the application to uh, qualify for a lease, like the data entry that leads to us giving them uh, a, a dollar amount that they could use to go shop. Um, but another th- project that we have on the horizon is what happens if they need to return that product, and what does that return experience look like? And there's physical aspects of that journey, like packaging and and uh, yeah, and like so shipping.
1: It's a, lo- it's a lot more than just uh, graphic design, right? You're you're kind of the mm-hmm. architect of this entire experience that that the user has, whether it's mm-hmm. uh, dealing with the graphics or uh, like you said, you know, inter- interacting with packaging or, or that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, um, it's it's very broad, and it's still being fleshed out on like what you can do because um, there are, there are elements of um, visual design best practices that have come from the graphic design world, but then there's like designing uh, the architecture of software and designing the database structure. Like how, but not looking at it on like how, from the perspective of, okay, how are we going to make this database and how are we going to code this database? It's going to be like, okay, how we design this database is going to influence the customer's experience downstream. If we make it dense or we ask them for too much information, then, so for example, if the database is requiring you to give your credit card in an initial application to see if you pre-qualify, someone's going to be like, well, this is sketchy. I'm not going to finish this application. And then you see conversion rates go down um, because in the mental model – so there's like a psychology aspect to it as well. Like uh, customers' mental models expect the collection of certain data and certain parts of their flu- their workflows. So usually you'd expect a credit card to be collected when they're checking
1: out and they've already decided to convert. So like so you're you're getting into things like behavioral science as well, uh-huh. right? Understanding the the mind of the consumer and how they hmm. interact with things.
0: Yeah, so like we're we're not we're not engineers in the sense that like we're we are yeah, it's more of an I would say it's more of an architect when I explain it to uh my family members who have no idea what it is because it's really it's a, it's a new job, right? Um I just tell them, like, on the construction industry, there is an architect who plans the layout of the house. There's purpose to the room. So, like, for example, um, uh, when you're planning out a house, like, what do you see when you open the front door? Like, uh, uh, a bench to take your shoes off, um, a closet to put your coat in. Um, and then, you know, you, you go into the living room and there's a TV entertainment center. There's a sectional, and you're like, yeah, this makes sense. And then in the corner, there's a toilet.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And that, that doesn't, that, like, that does not make sense for that to be there. And it's really, a, an up, like, obtrusive to the, the experience of enjoying your home, right? Because you don't want to have, like, a toilet where <laughs> you, so to, you're
1: the guy that makes sure there's no toilet in the living room from a, our kitchens. Standpoint.
0: Or yeah, around the it. stairs. That's yeah. a
1: great way to explain it. Right. Yeah,
0: so I do that for digital products. Is I I think about the human aspect, um, and then I work with the engineers to make sure that the technology is feasible to
1: make. Is it. there a, a project that you can share that uh, maybe it was a big success or something you you really learned a lot um, and share a few of the details about that project? Uh,
0: yeah, so. Um, I think a common problem with like older companies um is that they hire a lot of uh software engineers but they don't bring on design because the value design is it's slowly being accepted that like companies that invest in staff that think about these things um are usually very valuable think Apple think Amazon Amazon has a very great user experience it might not be like the get this like visual graphic design awards for the design of their site or anything like that. But like from like U- UX is getting from point A to point B. A customer wants couch in their house. You could go on the Amazon app and get a couch sent to your house <laughs> with minimal, with minimal like headaches it's or anything like amazing. that. Or if you want to return something with Amazon, they make it so painless. Like, so and that's why they're, so valuable is because they've invested in people to think about these things um and uh so our progressive leasing it's 20 year old company uh we uh the legacy the there's this monolith of legacy code that is preventing us from unifying the consistent workflow so that led to duplicate workflows like the application experience was duplicated like four four or five, no, it was 20 times. Actually, it was 20 times. There's 20 different versions of the same workflow because of the architecture. Because the the how we architected our databases and stuff didn't recognize people as customers. There were numbers. There were IDs in a database. Yeah. And that meant that if you wanted to shop around and we just started rolling out e-commerce uh, products where uh the behaviors of an e-commerce shopper are totally different than uh someone in a physical store where they've like they've driven to the store, they've decided to convert there. On e-commerce, there's a lot more shopping around and we'd see people applying like five different times within an hour going through like the same thing entering in their social, entering in like all this this personal information that's pretty high sen- high sensitivity over and over again. Um and so I, I worked on with the uh, engineering team to re-architect um, how our system, like what would an application look like with a centralized customer database? Um, so like a customer-centric uh, view of the application. They enter in the information once, that gets saved to their customer profile. And uh, then if they wanna shop around, they could log in, um, quickly reapply without having to fill out an application again. And that will give them the flexibility to shop around because that's what they want. As shown through their behaviors, they want to shop around. They want to consider multiple options. And they're treating us like purchasing power when we're just um, an application that's very linear and inflexible. Mm. Yeah, so that allows them to perform the tasks and the jobs to be done that they want to do. And jobs to be done is just a framework to like look at innovation, right? You know, people there's uh people don't like for example there's have you heard of jobs to be done like that framework no so great book competing against luck it's not it was written by a harvard business school professor clayton christensen um and he's led to this and, and it's very popular in the digital products on space but um jobs to be done is you know you don't want a drill bit you want a dr- like you don't want a quarter inch drill bit. you want a quarter inch hole so the story isn't about your product. It's what your product allows people how, how it allows people to get to, to point B. And so uh, a really interesting example of jobs to be done is uh, Safe Boda, which is a African uh, version African version of Uber. Um, so there's in in uh, in Uganda, in Kenya, there's these uh, taxis called Boda Bodas, which are just motorcycle taxis. Um, they're not the safest. Um, <laughs> Not, it's not the safest experience. It's really interesting, but um, what the what people realized so like a lot of these Euro, these European people they started this company like oh it's, it's really unsafe we will um, give these riders helmets we'll get make sure that they are background checked before they could get on the service um, and people are going to love the product because it's safe and they quickly found out that Ugandans are used. Are, are very accustomed to the danger of commuting this way what they the reason they would actually hire so they'd hi- jobs to be done like you you hire a product to complete like a job that you have the reason they were hiring Safe Boda was it was a status symbol that I could afford the slightly more expensive taxi it was a flex and so they changed their marketing and their value proposition to that instead of focusing on safety which they they're not their customer but they assume that's what everyone wanted um so for for uh that project the job to be done was being able to find out how much you could spend and be able to shop around wherever you want and that's job to be done how our product was originally designed with legacy systems was not allowing that so we redesigned it to allow that to happen
1: interesting I, I really like that you brought up that phrase uh, what what is the job that you're hiring this product to do right mm-hmm. uh, in fact uh, I read I can't I think it maybe was how do you measure your life also by Clayton Christensen yeah. And uh, I, I think it was in that book that he talked about consulting for McDonald's and they had uh, they're they trying to figure out how to uh, sell more milkshakes, sell more milkshakes. Right. Right. It's kind yeah. of terrible. Like, how do we how do we push more milkshakes on the American public? But um, that's how he framed it. He was like, what is the job that people are hiring a milkshake to do? Uh, and I think that's a really useful way to, to think about life in general, um, I recently asked uh, my, all, all the team members at Pipeline, what is the job that you're hiring your job to do? You know, like, What is it that you want to get out of working at Pipeline or working anywhere for that matter? Um, mm-hmm. It's just a really useful framework through which to think about your life, I think.
0: Oh, totally. And it also helps you be more self-aware. I actually did one of, I think, my second
1: podcast episode. It's called uh,
0: Jobs to be Done Theory in Your Life. Uh, by Jeff, I interviewed Jeff Whitlock. Um, so that's in the, the the annals of my podcast. If you want to look that up, it's one of the first ones. And uh, he talked about um, why he went to uh, a prestigious college, and he's like, "I want to go to prestigious prestigious college because um, I want to get a job at a big consulting firm." And he realized, like, "Wow, that's really shallow." And he ended up, He worked at McKinsey and stuff, but he left after a couple years because he. That's not what he wanted. He realized quickly that's not like what he wanted to. How he wanted to build his career, and uh, like asking myself because I had a bad experience where I worked for a year to prepare for uh, a university interview with Facebook. Like uh, my professors were like, "Okay, we're going to recommend one designer to interview at Facebook," and the whole time. Uh, you know, I, I got recommended, but I had a year to prepare, and like be ready for that interview. And the, the day no came. No stress. I had to get day came. I did the interview, and you know what? Like, it's it's a very tough hiring process. I didn't get it. And um, I mean, it was cool to interview, you know, and say I interviewed because I think that's like an accomplishment in itself. But I realized like why was I hiring Facebook? Because I wanted that Facebook logo on my LinkedIn. It was mm. not because I didn't like. I don't use their products that often. Like I deleted Instagram and Facebook. I, I recently downloaded Instagram again when the pandemic hit cause I missed my friends and that was the way to connect with them. Yeah. So I was hiring them to connect with my friends, but when we were physically meeting with people, I didn't have it. And I was just like, well, how do you think I, I would I have, would, I've been happy there if I, I mean, it would have been good for my career, but like, is the problem? I, do I believe in their products? Not really. Um, so,
1: yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, um, we should probably wrap up here in a few minutes, but uh, before we do, how can people get a hold of you? And uh, uh, maybe if there's anything else you want to plug for your, your podcast as well, this is this is the time to do it.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so, of course, uh, listen to The Way of Product Design. It is a, the cover to the podcast. It's everywhere podcasts are uh, streamed. Um, the cover is my f- face with the way of product design, and it's a green cover. So, um, it shouldn't be hard to miss. Um, so if you want to like broaden your horizons, think about like Internet of Things products. Uh, I know this is a lot of like physical engineers that listen to this, um, podcast. Like, if you want to be interested in like cool technologies, like making smart speakers and stuff like that. I think it would be uh, a great investment of your time, uh, and also uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, Caden Damiano, C-A-D-E-N-D-A-M-I-A-N-O. Had to spell it out because it's people think Domino like D-O-M. <laughs> um, I'm sure you could link all this in the show notes, but yeah, just connect with me, um, listen to the podcast, um, and if you want, like, to talk, like I, I love I love chatting with people obviously it's my hobby so
1: awesome all right well kaden <clears throat> thank you so much for spending some time i really appreciate it
0: yeah no thanks for having me on
1: i'm aaron monker founder of pipeline design and engineering if you liked what you heard today please leave us a positive review it really helps other people find the show To learn how your engineering team can leverage our team's expertise in developing turnkey custom test fixtures, automated equipment, and product design, visit us at testfixturedesign.com. Thanks for listening.